All of you dads, would you please stand right now? We want to see who you are. Just stand for a moment. We want to appreciate you. Yes, indeed. Look at these guys. Awesome. You may be seated, and I, I want to give you a preview that some of you might be standing again because I'm going to play a video right now that's a challenge because being a father is more than just having a title. It's having a commitment to go down the right road and to lead during the hard and difficult moments and to stay on course. And so, guys, I, w I want you to look at this song, and if there's something in your heart that says, you know what, I need to step up a little bit, I need to make a mid-course correction, I need to get my focus back or whatever it is, I'm going to ask a number of you to stand like we did in the first service and respond to this song, I Want to Be That Man. was awake before the sun with his bible opened up seeking truth with every single page he turned anyone could see my daddy lived what he believed with a gentle heart a passion for jesus burned i know we disagree But the longer I live It's clear to me I want to be
None of us is perfect as fathers, but sometimes we get distracted. And, and maybe you need a mid-course correction. Maybe you say, I want to be that man, God helping me. And if there's something in your heart that's stirring to step up even more as a father, I'm going to ask you to stand right now where you are. We want to pray over you. We want the Spirit of God to move. So across this congregation today, if you're a father who says, I want to be that man, stand. Stay standing. I'm standing. Matt Miller. Would you come on up here? Matt knows. He's this and spontaneous. I've asked him to pray over the fathers. He's a father himself. And uh, if you haven't stand, stood and you want to, there's still time. But pray over these fathers. Pray over me that we be that man who'd hold the hand of the father and lead our family well. All right, would you pray with me? God, I just thank you for the men in this room. Thank you for the, um, the heritage that is in this place. Um, for my own dad and the, uh, the blessing that he is, the anchor that he was and still is in our family. And uh, God, I just pray for these men that are standing right now that you would put your hand upon them, allow them to experience the joy of your salvation each day, that they would keep their eyes fixed upon you, that they would lead their wives and their kids wisely because mm -hmm. they are um, just seeking you each day. God, it's difficult sometimes to do that, and it's hard to know which way to go and what's right. But, Lord, we know that if we hold on to you and that we trust in you, that you are faithful to lead us. Um, as men who have chosen to lead their families, um, and, Lord, that we would be able to see our kids um, get that and that they would trust in you and follow you and, and be obedient to your truth and your law. And so, God, I just uh, lift these men up to you today. I thank you for Father's Day that we can just have a fun time to enjoy being a dad um, and, Lord, I just pray that these guys would just enjoy um, the gift of being a dad uh, this very day. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Matt. <clears throat> well, this being Father's Day, I'm drawn to a text about the, the baptism of the Lord and the approval of the Heavenly Father on Jesus at that baptism in Luke chapter 3 and verses 21, 22. So I've entitled my sermon, Getting Your Father's Approval. And I could come at this sermon, this text, in many, many ways. But in this Father's Day, I see something of the importance of a father's approval in the lives of their children. And so I'm going to look at what the father said to Jesus, and then I'm going to apply it on how the father says the same thing to you and me, whether we be son or daughter, because we all deal with matters of approval, men and women, for as long as we live in one way or another. So let's look at our passage, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. And if you've come today and you don't have a Bible, there is a pew Bible in front of you. It is page 859, and I would welcome you to take that Bible home with you as our gift to you, and uh, we'd just love you to have a Bible in your very own home. And so follow along as I read. <clears throat> now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You may be seated. 
Now, this baptism event was recorded in all four Gospels. It was a significant, important, major event in the life of Christ. And this baptism of Jesus came as a result of part of John the Baptist preparing Israel for the coming of Messiah. So let's look at this context as it sets itself up in Luke chapter 3. I want you to see what leads up to the baptism as John is preparing Israel for its Messiah. So here's how he prepared. First of all, we find out in verse 3, he proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then in verses 7 and 9, he fiercely laid into the phoniness of the Pharisee religion at that time. And then in verses 10 through 14, he exhorted them on how to live according to the gospel. And that's something we all need to do. If we know the Lord, live according to the gospel. And then in verses 15 through 17, he actually lifted up the mighty nature of the coming Christ. And by doing so, John put his stamp of approval on the Lord before the people. So all of chapter 3 in Luke is John the Baptist getting Israel ready for her Messiah. Now here I see an opportunity for me to say something about our coming pastor, Pastor Nick Gatsky. Now, I am not John the Baptist, and he is not Jesus. But in a very real sense, part of my ministry was to be his forerunner and to get the church ready for his coming of the next senior pastor. And today we stand on the threshold of his coming, and he will preach his very first sermon on August the 9th. And I'm so thrilled that Pastor Nick is coming to you. You've been patiently waiting for a new senior pastor ever since Pastor Brent left way back in April of 2013. And that's a long time. And now it's time to get on into your next exciting chapter. And I want you to hear from me. Pastor Nick is going to be good for this church, and this church is going to be good for Pastor Nick. And the Lord's hand in his coming has been just as much with him as it was in my coming as interim pastor. And what's more, Pastor Nick fits the leadership and personality profile that was established in the early part of the search process when many from our church answered a questionnaire. He has wonderful educational credentials that are spiritually conditioned. He has good experience. He has a shepherd's heart. And I've heard a lot of excitement among the staff and the elders and many in the church about Pastor Nick. Now, I have this number one observation about Pastor Nick that I've heard among the congregation, and it is this. You complete the line. He's so what? Young. Yes, he's so young. Well, I want you to listen to a few things. I was 30 years old when I went to Pastor Grace Church in Erie, PA, and I served there for 35 years. Pastor Brent was 30 when he came here, and he served this church for 25 years. Bill Hybels was, was, thir- tw- excuse me, was 23 when he started Willow Creek. Rick Warren started Saddleback when he was 25. Erwin Lutzer went to Moody Church in Chicago when he was 39. Alistair Begg was 31 when he went to Parkside Church. Andy Stanley was 37 when he started North Point Church in, in, in Georgia. And his father, Charles Stanley, was 39 when he went to First Baptist Church in Atlanta. 
Now, I know that lots of times God's people are a little bit nervous about youth, and that's why Paul said to young Pastor Timothy way back when these words in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, and I expect that's exactly what Pastor Nick is going to do when he comes here. And so, church, you've got a good man coming. I'm so glad that I prepared the way that I can turn the reins over to him. And if I had misgivings about this man, I'd let the search committee and the elders know that long ago. And so God is leading, and I'm excited about what he's doing in the coming days. Well, back to the baptism of Jesus. You're wondering, well, if this was a baptism for repentance, Jesus had no sin. Why would they baptize the Lord? Why would John baptize Jesus? Well, I want to give you several reasons so you understand why the Lord was baptized and so you understand there was no sin involved. Let me give you four. Number one, Jesus was baptized to reveal who he was. He was revealed to Israel and actually to the world as the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In fact, it was put this way by Matthew. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And when he was baptized, it was a symbol that he was perfect holiness, that he was the spotless lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, no sin in him at all. And it was the first major step towards the cross to die in our place. And so he was revealed as that coming Messiah. Number two. In his baptism, Jesus modeled an essential spiritual step for his followers to take. He said, when you follow me, be baptized. And so if you are a follower of Christ, he says, I modeled that for you. And I want you to follow me in baptism. And so if you've come to know Christ as your personal Savior, and you've never been baptized, then let me encourage you, your next step is to go into the waters of baptism and proclaim the Lord and that he is your Lord and Savior and follow him. And by the way, early in Pastor Nick's new ministry, there'll be a baptism, and we'd love for you to sign up with Pastor Rick and prepare to get baptized. The third reason that Jesus was baptized, it was the official launching pad of his public ministry. From that point on, they knew this was Messiah. From that time on, they knew he was the Christ, and he would be going, preaching the ministry. His focus would be to proclaim the gospel on his way to the cross, and so it was the starting launch of his ministry. And number four, and this is where we're going to zero in today. At his baptism, Jesus was given God's full approval as Israel's Messiah, the Savior of the world. The Father said, he's the one I approve. He's my well-beloved son, and he's going to do the unique work that I've called this son to do. And so they were brief but powerful words. You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And the world knew from that point on that the father loved the son, and he was the one who would perform the ministry of salvation for a lost humanity. Well, now you have some understanding as to why Jesus was baptized, I want to zero in a little bit on this matter of how the Father felt about him in this text and what it means for us. In fact, if we're going to be healthy people 
and function well, we must work through this matter of approval. And if we don't work it through, we're going to struggle at some level all of our lives. And so the big idea, where I'm really going to camp, where I really want you to get into in my sermon today is this. The Heavenly Father's approval of us is all that really matters. When you put it all out there, what matters in the world, what other people think, listen, when it boils down to the bottom line, it is this. The Heavenly Father's approval of us is all that really matters. And I'm going to share with you three realities. But it's reality number three that I'm going to camp on today. And I'm I'm going to give you a preview. Here's the preview. Accepting your Heavenly Father's approval is the foundation of your emotional and spiritual health. Accepting the Heavenly Father's approval of you is the foundation of your emotional and spiritual health. So by the time we get to reality number three, you're going to see the approval of the Heavenly Father is what we're looking at, and that's all we really need. So let's look at reality number one as we prepare for reality number three. Reality number one is the truth be told. We all have a need for approval. Every one of us, male and female, every human being. We all have the need for significant others to tell us that we matter, to tell us that we have what it takes, to tell us that we have something to offer, to say there's something significant about us. And if we don't get that approval, we begin to struggle. And what's more, if we're told negative things from our earliest memories, that's going to be a very difficult thing to overcome in later life. And we're going to struggle with self-worth, confidence, fulfillment, and all kinds of little demons. And so as we come to our text today, I make the contention that we see that Jesus was approved of the Father, and as he was, so must we be approved of the Father and understand that we are. Now make no mistake about it. We see Jesus as superhuman. He was God, but he was also human. He was fully God and fully human. And so it says in the text, especially in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, and Hebrews chapter 4, 15, that we were like him. He was made like us in everything. He shared all of humanity, all of our needs, all of our temptation. That was part of his experience. And we're told, for instance, in the Gospels that he got weary that he was hungry, that he was thirsty, that he needed time alone, that he got discouraged, that he got angry, and that he wept. And so it doesn't surprise me at all to see that he also was involved in another human experience, needing approval. And we see this benefit in the Father's words to Jesus for the people. They understood the Father approved of him. But there is also a benefit that was coming to Christ, To see that the Father approved him and Jesus felt that also in his spirit. And so the Father's approval meant something to Christ. What the Father said touched his heart. It wasn't this cold, emotionless conversation between two persons of of the Godhead, the Father and the Son. There was something there that was going on that touched the heart of Christ in the approval of the Father. And I see two things that the Father did in giving approval to his Son. Number one. He demonstrated his approval. He just didn't let it sit out there hoping that the sun would catch it. And so what he did, he expressed it in sight, touch, and sound. The Holy Spirit was seen in the form of a dove that came down. Visual. The manifestation of the Spirit landed on the Lord. There was touch. And it says the Father spoke meaningful words. An affirmation of the Son, there was sound. 
And so the father's approval was demonstrated. It wasn't passive. It wasn't taken for granted. And so fathers, we need to express our approval to our children. And if we withhold these things, especially if we give our child constant criticism, the child will suffer emotional damage. He won't feel approved. We need self-worth that largely comes from the early approval of our father. It sets the stage for a child's life as long as he lives. And so the first thing the father did, he demonstrated the approval. But there's a second thing that we see. The father separated who Jesus was from what he did. He looked at him as his son, not what the father did. And so Jesus went through all of his years, and if you look at this at this young man, it is incredible. Jesus never did anything wrong. And so you looked at, okay, Jesus, do the dishes. He did the dishes. He didn't fail there. He kept his room clean. He never talked back to his mom and dad. He never sneaked behind their backs. He never, he never broke the speed limit with his chariot. It was incredible. And so it was easy for the father to say, I love you. You're, you've always made me happy. But Jesus still separated him from what he did. And he said, you are my son. You are my son. And he said that before Jesus ever did one work of ministry. He did not connect the performance with who he was. And it's crucial. Because so often, somehow we as parents look at what our children do. They don't make us happy. Therefore, we don't give them approval. And we need to separate their behavior from who they are and the trap so often, is to love and affirm our, affirm our children when they're nice and not to do so when they're not, especially when our children take us to the limit, and sometimes they do. And if we value our children based on their performance, we damage them because there are many times we will not validate them when they fail us. Now, my job as a father of children in the home is over as I look back, I know there were many times I did not separate the two. I looked at them and I looked at what they did and if they disappointed me, if they exasperated me, they knew it and they did not feel validated. They did not feel approved. And I know that I hurt them and sometimes it bled through too much. And I have to tell you, as I'm sure you relate with me, it is a hard job as a parent to affirm the person of our children when we're not happy with their behavior. But we can never lose fact of the sight that a father's approval is huge. And so even today, I work at statements of demonstrations of approval for my adult children on who they are, separated from what they do. And isn't it interesting that Jesus was 30 and his father was still approving of him? Which leads me to reality number two. Reality number one, all of us need approval. For many of us, most of us, it comes through our fathers primarily. Secondly, reality number two is the search for approval is epidemic. It is epidemic. Now, Jesus never had to search for his father's approval. He had it all of his life. In fact, I can imagine Mary as he was growing up saying, Jesus, do you know that when, you, when I was carrying you, what the angels told me about you? And then early on, there were things that happened, and, and she'd say, you know, Jesus, here's how the Father feels about you. It's amazing. When he was growing up, he had that affirmation. And then when he went into the ministry, 
On three separate occasions, the Father approved him, verbally, audibly from heaven, approving his Son at his baptism, at his transfiguration, and at his final week as he came to the cross. Now we get no sense at all that Jesus was insecure, amen, and plagued with feelings of inferiority, or that he was seeking the approval of men. In fact, he was so rejected. If at all we ever see uh, approval seeking, we would see it then, but it didn't happen. He stayed resolute. He stayed on task. And if he had been on the search for men's approval, we wouldn't be here today because I know he'd have caved in. He'd have sinned along the way. So there was no approval issues for Jesus, but we aren't Jesus. And we all have these approval issues. And we need approval from our fathers. And if we don't get it from our fathers, then we we look other places. And there are many children who have their fathers around, but the fathers are not approving of them. And so they spend their lives looking for it in other places. And the need for approval has a major effect on how we live. Some people looking for approval therefore live in compliance with what they think others want, fearing criticism and rejection. Others become driven, working really hard to please people because they want to be affirmed, and so they resort to hard work. And others rebel. They figure, well, if I can't get affirmed, at least I'm going to get noticed, and they'll see, and I'll command attention. One thing I can say about my father, and I've been thinking about my father. He's been gone for 20 years. He, He perished in a very tragic accident. Ever since I can remember anything, my dad used to do for me what the father did for Jesus. There frequently he'd come along and say, in essence, you're my beloved son. I am well pleased with you. And you know that did so much. That has been a major anchor in my life. But I discovered in my adult years that anchor was not enough. So I discovered also that my father was a very ordinary man. He was a blue-collar worker with no skills of any kind. He only went to the seventh grade. He wasn't athletic. He wasn't a musician. He wasn't part of the socially elite. He wasn't a scholar. He wasn't popular in his church. And so he couldn't pass on any of that good stuff to me. And I followed in my father's undistinguished footsteps. So... When I got out with the geeks and the athletes and the musicians and the socialites, I couldn't keep up. And I didn't feel affirmed and I didn't feel approved. I developed this deep sense of personal inadequacy, feelings of inferiority, even feelings of rejection. And from the days I hit school and the playground, I struggled with self-worth because there were many painful experiences. And it's been a long struggle And I discovered that my father's approval was not enough. And so my journey over the past 20 years has had a lot of pain. And part of that pain forced me to look at myself to see who I really am. And I've made an amazing discovery. One is that my life has been lived around seeking the approval of other people. And when I figured that out, it was a transforming discovery. For you see, my motivation since the day that God called me was to serve him well in the ministry. But I also discovered I wanted people to like me. And I wanted their approval. And I was afraid of rejection in the church. So I'd actually sacrifice my inner self to please the wishes of others. And I'd work hard at being appreciated. 
But you know what? Seeking approval, whether you know it or not, is a sinkhole. You never cross the finish line. Satan knows how to hamstring the sincerest of hearts. But this is what I love about salvation. The Lord isn't just interested in dying to save us from hell. He was interested in dying to save us from ourselves. And so his blood not only covers the cost of our salvation, it covers a lifelong process of sanctification. And for many of us, it's delivering us from ourselves and this need for approval. And so God is in the process today of delivering me and multiplied thousands of people from a lifelong search for approval. And that's why reality three is so incredible. And that's why reality three is the heart of my sermon. So I brought you through reality of one and reality of two to bring you to reality of three. And here it is. The discovery of the true source of approval is incredibly liberating, and here it is. It is the approval of our Heavenly Father alone and period. Yes, I believe it's important for a father's and earthly father's approval of his children. Without it, I think the children will search for approval even into their adult years. But I believe for us to really thrive, we need to move to another level. We need to come to the place where we discover that we really only need one person's approval. It is the heavenly Father's. And when a person finally arrives at that level, they feel secure in their person, in their Father's love. And they come, listen, to know who they are in Christ. And they can get to work doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if earthly approval comes, fine. If it doesn't, it, they won't be hamstrung. And so part of maturity is coming to the point where we understand that approval from God is all we need. And that we already have it if we've come to a personal relationship with Christ. And that is good news. And you know something? If you know Christ as your Savior, God can say of every one of us who are believers, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. Now the Father can't always say the second part of that statement that he said to Christ when he said to them, and I'm very pleased with you. Sometimes he isn't. Sometimes we really drop the ball. But I want you to hear something. It is so important. God doesn't love us more when we please him and less when we don't. What we do will never change the fact that God looks at us like he looks at his own son. And for us to enter into the fullness of life and freedom, we must come to the place where we realize if we have the Father's approval, we have enough. And we don't need the approval of others and we become free of the bondage of performing. And we can focus on pleasing God, not others. It's his approval alone, apart from any performance issues, that makes all the difference in understanding our identity in Christ. A few years ago, I had a key moment of insight. I went to a seminar on approval issues. And the facilitator was there, and... Um, there was this video, and at one point, the video, the speaker looked straight into the camera at all of us, as it were, and he said something like this, 
I love you, you are special, I affirm you. And then the facilitator stopped and said, how did that make you feel? And some of the people in the session said, well, it made me feel good. I felt accepted, I felt approved. Me feeling contrarian about that, I said, really meant nothing to me. I said, it was just a machine talking. That man doesn't know me from Adam. He has no idea who I am. So he said I, that, he, that he loves me and that I was special. I said, that meant nothing to me. I said, what really counts is when my wife and my family and my friends affirm and value me, then I feel validated and approved. And I thought, boy, did I make a home run. About an hour later, I had a moment of insight. And I wrote it down because I realized how wrong I was in what I thought I was right on about an hour before. And this is what I wrote. It was a piercing thought. Your wife and family and friends can change their minds about you. What then? Are you going to derive your self-worth from the human beings around you? The important thing is how God feels about you. He's crazy about you. In his mind, you have infinite value because of your connection and identity with Christ. He'll never change his mind about you. To find approval from God is all the approval you need. That's the source of your worth. If you're looking to anyone else for approval, you're looking in the wrong place. It was a powerful moment of insight. And I understood again that there's only one person's approval that we need. It's the Father's. If we get that, that's all we need. But think about it this way. Envision living your life on a playing field in front of a grandstand filled with people. And in that grandstand, our parents and our spouses and our relatives and our friends and our colleagues and our church and our neighbors and our customers and people we know in the community, the list goes on. And they're filling that grandstand. And as we live our lives, They're all watching what we do, and they're either applauding and cheering or they're frowning and booing. And often we try to do our best to keep the people in the grandstands happy and proud of us, and we want to do well, and we want to please them, and we want them to cheer us on for our accomplishments. But as important as all those people are in the grandstands, let me tell you what our goal ought to be in life, is to one by one Usher each of them out of the arena until finally there is only one left, the most important one. Our lives should be lived in front of an audience of one in the grandstand. It is the Lord. He's watching. He's the one we need to please. And to know that even when we fail, he'll never boo us. He'll never devalue us. His approval is all that matters, and anything else is a weak bonus. Friends, this is the way it is. We are creatures who need approval. And God designed the home to meet those early needs. But when we launch into adulthood, we need to make an amazing discovery. We don't need the approval of others, not even our parents. It's not the people around us who should determine our value and how we feel about ourselves. What God thinks of us is all that matters. And we must come to the place where we stop trying to gain the approval of those who know us. We must even stop trying to gain God's approval. We already have it. Can we accept 
the fact that when we're in Christ, we're already approved by God and that for the rest of our lives, we play for an audience of one. If we can accept that, we have taken one of the biggest steps possible in life. It took me far too long to learn this. I pray that you'll be a much swifter learner. And so today, child of God, your heavenly Father says to you what he said to Jesus. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. If you need to accept that, if you're willing to accept that today, God's approval, I'm going to ask you to receive it by uplifted hand and say, yes, I receive that today. I receive the approval of my Heavenly Father. Across this congregation, if you would like to receive that approval, just raise your hand. I receive the approval of my Heavenly Father. God bless you. God bless you. And so, to that end, I'm asking Adele Madison. Adele is one of our counselors here at uh, Old North, and she sees a lot of these things. And I've asked her to come and pray for every one of us who's raised our hands to receive the Father's approval in maybe a new and different way. I'd like you to pray for those of us today who need to have the approval in the right way.